What I want to talk to you about is Yom Kippur. I want to talk a little theology with you, actually. So let's talk about first the history. And as you all know, Yom Kippur is the day when Moses comes down from the mountain with the second set of tablets. It's also a commemoration of Jacob stealing the blessing because you have the whole business with the two goats and so forth. The instructions are given on the death of Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's two sons who went into the presence of God and offered a strange fire. So there's all sorts of historical stuff that goes on with Yom Kippur. The instructions for it are in Leviticus chapter 16. I was listening to Rabbi Foreman, and he sort of pointed something out to him. We call this the Day of Atonement, when we get our sins forgiven, right? Well, if you read Leviticus 16, the chapter gives all sorts of technical details of how you come into the presence of God safely. Because remember, the Torah portion is a heremot, which means after the death. So it's talking in the context of the death of Nadab and Avihu. And then it gives this long list of technical things that you have to do in order to come into the presence of God and be safe. Because it's talking in the context of the death of somebody who did it wrong and died. And it's only at the very end of that chapter, after this long list of technical things, that God says, oh, by the way, you'll be forgiven your sins. And here I'm channeling Rabbi Foreman. If you were doing this, you would start off with and say, all right, this is how you get your sins forgiven. And then you would go through this list of technical stuff and be done with it. But it's sort of like getting your sins forgiven is, oh, by the way, you'll get your sins forgiven. You see sort of the disconnect there? And if you look at this ceremony, it says you'll come into the Holy of Holies and you'll bring incense in there and God will meet you in a cloud above the mercy seat. Specifically says that. Well, we have one other example of God meeting us in a cloud, Moses on the mountain, Sinai. So what you have, if you will, is a recreation of Sinai which you remember should have been a wedding ceremony. So the idea is you want to come into the presence of God and recreate that wedding ceremony at Sinai. That's the purpose of the exercise. So that the cloud that you bring in, the incense, mingles with God's cloud and you're in his presence, much like a bride and groom. And the business with the goats and all that kind of stuff is all details around it, and don't get me wrong, they're important, I'm not suggesting that they're minor things, but the real purpose of the exercise is to recreate the Sinai experience. That's the purpose of the Yom Kippur, to come into God's presence as we did at Sinai. And you remember at Sinai, only Moses goes into the cloud. And you have this period of preparation, three days of purification and so forth, and at the end of that, God gives us the Torah. Well, what's in the Holy of Holies? The Torah. Isn't the Torah in there? The tablets of stone which are in the ark. So everything going on in this Yom Kippur ceremony echoes what happened at Sinai. And so when Nadab and Avihu see the cloud covering the tabernacle and they say, Wow, Sinai, 
and they get their incense and they run in there because what they want to do is they want to recreate the Sinai experience. And by the way, at Sinai, what does God say about all the people? Don't touch the mountain, because if you touch the mountain, you die. So what happens is Nadab and Avihu, wanting to recreate this Sinai experience, take their incense and they rush in there, and they die. Not because God is chapped with them or anything else, it's just that coming into the presence of God inappropriately, without the proper preparation, is dangerous. In fact, it's deadly. So the whole purpose of Leviticus 16 is, this is how you do it safely. Now, this is genealogy. This is is not in Scripture. If you like it, take it. If you don't like it, don't take it. It's fine with me. I suspect that the whole business of afflicting yourself is a remembrance of the stealing of the blessing and is a remembrance of Nadav and Avihu doing it wrong sort of to get you focused and at the end of a day with no food and no water, I'm pretty focused quite frankly. So the whole idea is to make this an emotional event so that you're focused on what you're doing when you finally do come into the presence of God. So now with that background, I'm going to channel my inner Baptist here and give you three points. The first point is how does all this relate to the sacrifice of Yeshua? On my website and Facebook page, I've been posting podcasts for quite a while. And I've got this Sunday Christian guy that occasionally comments, and and he commented on Galatians, and and his whole thing is the Torah is done away with. In fact, trying to do any of this stuff is displeasing to God. It's his perspective. Obviously, I don't agree with him. So the question will always come up among your Sunday friends, didn't Yeshua do away with all this? And the short answer to that is no. But let me see if I can explain to you why. We were talking on Tuesday night, and one of the things we said is God has constructed a moral universe. And the way I would liken it to is God made gravity work. Gravity is just something God made, and I don't have to think about gravity anymore. It's just going to work. It's the same thing with his moral universe. He set up a moral universe so that sowing and reaping works. You know, as you sow, so shall you reap. It just works. So what I'm suggesting to you is, in order for us to come into the presence of God, something has to take care of the other side of that equation, which is our sins. And the thing that takes care of the other side of that equation is the blood of Yeshua. So with the blood of Yeshua balancing our sins, then the moral universe just works. Just like gravity just works. Once the counterbalance is set in place, it just works. And God can think about other things because everything balances now. And by the way, if you want scripture for that, and I'm in Hebrews chapter 9, but I'll pick it up for you at verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own, but then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So what it fairly clearly says is it's one sacrifice, one time for all sin. Now, your Sunday friends will say, well, if you keep doing this, you keep putting Yeshua back up on the cross and sacrificing, right? You've probably heard that before. 
What it says is Yeshua only does it once. It doesn't say for you only to do it once. What God says to us is, do it every year. So why does he say that if Yeshua only has to do it once? And I will suggest that there's a couple of reasons for that. Anybody ever had children? How many times do you have to have them do things before they finally figure it out? You ever had a two-year-old that you just tell once, right? This is how I want you to do it. And, you know, next thing he's off to college and said, thank you, I never did that again. Certainly not. We learn by iteration. We learn by doing things over and over and over again. So God says in his instructions, I want you to do this every year. Now, the other thing about doing it every year is remember, the exercise here is to come into the presence of God. God himself is our goal, our lodestone, our direction, all of that kind of stuff. And one of the things that becomes really important as you go through life is, I don't know about you, but I wander. And it's really useful for me once a year to have somebody jerk my compass back and point it where it's supposed to be. And if I were to, to use the Christian term, say the sinner's prayer once at the age of 14 and never have any interaction again, I will tell you by the time you're my age, after wandering off, you can be way off. So the whole purpose of this once a year coming back into the presence of God and gaining forgiveness, of course, is to reorient you, keep you pointed in the same direction. Again, it's like your two-year-old. Every now and then you've got to reach out and grab him by the collar and jerk him back and point him in another direction, and, and he goes off in that direction. So just from a human perspective, we need to do this every year because we need the orientation and we need the guidance. That's how we learn. God designed us that way. As you teach your children and so forth, you've got to repeat things. You've got to do it over and over again. And by the time they get to be the age of reason, one hopes that some of this stuff is welded into them. And that's what God is doing here. He knows us, he made us, and he realizes we need to get reoriented, refreshed, etc. And once a year seems to be the interval that he's chosen. So remember, God says Yeshua does it once. He doesn't say you do it once. The other thing that we have here are practical lessons in forgiveness. We have today the prodigal son. You've all heard the story of the prodigal son. And you all know that there is a next part to it, which we'll read next week. And that's the response of the older brother. Because the older brother, who has been faithful and stayed with his dad while this young snot has been running off and spending all the wealth and so forth, the older brother is highly resentful. Because remember, the younger brother has gotten his share of the father's estate. So this fatted calf and all that kind of stuff that's going on in this party is coming out of the older brother's share. Because everything that's left in the state now goes to the older brother, the younger brother having taken his share and wasted it. So this little twerp comes back and dad grabs a fatted calf and throws on a big party and the older brother says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's my stuff you're using to throw this party for this guy. And he is understandably upset. Now let's go to Isaiah. So Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. 
and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. Now, does anybody see the non sequitur in that reading? So seek the Lord while he may be found, but the wicked forsake his ways. All right, so clean up your act. And then let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to your God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's very clear. Then we go into, for because my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. What does that have to do with what we just read? Why is the fact that God's thoughts are not like our thoughts have anything to do with clean up your act and come to the Lord and he will forgive you? Go back to the prodigal son. Is the older brother in a forgiving mood? No, he's not. Farthest thing from the older brother's mind is forgiving this little so-and-so who has now come back and is eating my calf. But God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I am not like that older brother. So when you forsake your wickedness and you come to me, I will forgive you. And the reason I will forgive you is because I am not like that older brother. I am not somebody who's going to hold a grudge. I am not somebody who's going to look at you down his nose and say, how dare you come back and eat my calf after what you've done. So God says, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. You can come to me for forgiveness. And you don't have to worry about me treating you like the older brother is going to treat his younger brother. That's why we do this every year. Because you have to have practical reminders that God is not like the older brother, that God is forgiving, and that you can come before him and be assured that you will be forgiven. And the thing that balances your sins is the blood of Yeshua, so you don't have to worry about the scales not being horizontal. And then the final thing is, who is this for? Who is supposed to come before God on Yom Kippur? Who? is this for? Is this for your Sunday Christian friends? Or is this just for Messianics and Jews? I mean, this is the law. This is the Torah. This is the covenant with Israel. How do you justify that Gentiles can wander in too? Or that Gentiles should wander in too? Because your Sunday friends will just say, that's all Jewish stuff. Done away with. I don't have to be there. That doesn't apply to me. That's the nation Israel. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Yeshua, that's talking about Yom Kippur, but again, does that have anything to do with your Gentile friends? It simply says that the curtain is open. Should you participate in this? Or is this sort of a one-time thing when you say the sinner's prayer and you're covered with the blood? Here we have the second part of today's readings, Isaiah 56. And I will... Pick it up in 56. Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And then go down to verse 6. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants. No, it doesn't say join themselves to Israel. 
says join themselves to the Lord. You do not have to become part of Israel to partake of this. You certainly can. I mean, you can join Israel. You can be grafted in. That's okay. If you want to do that, that is great. But you don't have to. It says the foreigner who adjoins himself to the Lord to minister him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it. So any foreigner who keeps the Sabbaths is eligible for this entrance into the presence of God. You can do it by the blood of Yeshua because the curtain has been torn, but you don't have to be part of Israel. So everybody who joins himself to the Lord should partake of this festival. Read verse 8. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So the idea is not everybody is Israel. Replacement theology is bunk. Gentiles who join themselves to the Lord may participate in the feasts, expected to keep the Sabbaths, and have access to the forgiveness of God that comes through the blood of Yeshua. The nations will continue to exist in the new heaven and the new earth. Certainly you may join Israel if you choose to do so. That is open to you. It is the thing you can do. They're easy to join, but you don't have to. Because all of this is available to the stranger, the one who joins himself to the Lord and keeps the Sabbath. Remember, for your Sunday friends who say, this is all done away with, Yeshua did it once. And that's true, he did it once. But it doesn't say anywhere in Scripture that you only have to do it once. And remember, the goal here is to come into the presence of God. A side effect of coming into the presence of God is your sins are covered. The goal is to come into the presence of God. And the fact that you get your sins covered, I mean, that's wonderful. But the goal is to come into his presence, to join your cloud of incense with his cloud over the mercy seat, to recreate that wedding at Sinai. That's the goal of the exercise. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com slash purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.